Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're doing another show from the National Congress of American Indians 2018 in Denver, Colorado. Across from me right now is Chris Stainbrook. Chris is the president with the Indian Land Tenure Foundation. Chris, it's great to have you with us. Oh, thank you. It's good to be here. Chris, you are someone who basically has been with this organization from its inception. Is that correct? That's correct. The inception was in 2002. Okay, 2002. So we're talking now 16 years. That's correct. Tell us a little bit first about the Indian Land Tenure Foundation. Well, the the foundation was started after a four-year planning process in Indian country. It involved thousands of people saying, "What? how are we going to get this land back? Because, And they were primarily interested in the land that was lost on reservation through the allotment process. Okay. That's about 90 million acres of land. 90 million? 90 million. Um, and so the foundation... Our mission is to get that 90 million acres back in Indian ownership, management, and control, as well as sites that are off the reservation Mm -hmm. where the tribes still hold uh, cultural and religious significance. Okay. And and we'd like to get those back in Indian management and control also. Uh Uh-huh. So the allotment process, I know it was different in Oklahoma where I have some roots than in other places, but is this a, a... a kind of a problem across Indian country? Are there just certain tribes that had allotment systems? How did that work? Well, there were there were about 150 tribes that were allotted. Um, there were a few other tribes that had small allotments, mm-hmm. generally given to the treaty signers or uh, head chief folks. But the 150 that were allotted um, really constitute some of the largest reservations in the country. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the others, the other tribes, the ones that aren't dealing with allotment processes, um, we deal with, we work with them as well on other land issues like management and planning. Oh, okay. And how they, you know, how they manage their land, off reservation lands that they still have an interest in. But the allotment process, um, if we look at Indian country, since the late 1800s, 1887 was when the General Allotment Act was passed. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where uh, the majority of the lands were lost um, once the treaties had been settled. Okay. So tell us about some of the success stories. Oh, we've had a number of them. I mean, over the time, um, this year we will come down to uh, right at about 100,000 acres returned. Really? Very uh, good. And then probably one of the places we've spent mm, 70 to 75% of our resources over the 16 years really been on education. Really? So educating both non-Indian and Indian people about how the land got in the situation it's in. Hmm. Um, You know, one of the pieces of the General Allotment Act was to declare all Indian people and tribes incompetent to manage their own affairs. And so 
the federal government then took the land title in trust and held it is with tribal and individual Indian beneficiaries. Hmm. So the individuals and the tribes, if that land's in trust, then the federal government is actually the title holder. Okay. And so that that creates a process that um, bogs down every type of transaction or interaction with land that we do in Indian country. Mm-hmm. Um, we need the secretary's approval for virtually everything. And um, even though that's changed a bit in the last few years with things like the Hearth Act um, that allows the tribes to take over their own leasing, um, everything else requires the secretary's approval. Okay. So if 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 you were my relative and I wanted to give you some land, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. we'd have to go through a secretarial approval process. Wow. So everything takes five times longer uh-huh. than it would if we were off reservation doing a land transaction. Right, right. So basically you've been negotiating this kind of challenging, uh, well, obstacle course it sounds like, right? Right. For 16 years. But you're not just dealing with land issues. You're also dealing with uh, in the carbon uh, cap and trade market in Indian country. We featured that uh, a couple of years ago. But uh, I still think a lot of people are scratching their head even when they hear about the term. Why did you guys uh, wade into that uh, whole field? Well, we got into it because when the cap-and-trade markets or even the voluntary markets started, we had a number of uh, folks come into Indian country who wanted to take advantage of a situation where the tribes and individuals were uninformed about what the carbon markets really were and they offered the tribes and individuals um, pennies on the dollar for their carbon credits. Can you give us a quick overview of how, for someone who's you know heard the term, you know carbon market, cap and trade? Can you give us a quick primer on that? Well, the the Reader's Digest version is uh-huh. that if you sequester carbon, so lock it up, out, take it out of the atmosphere and lock it up in woody material or plants of any kind. Um, you you get paid for the tonnage of carbon that you take out of the atmosphere. And that's what helps prevent the climate from getting any warmer than it already is. Those carbon credits, mm-hmm. or the tonnage of carbon that you take out of the atmosphere, there are buyers for those credits. Um, big utility companies, mm-hmm. peop- companies that just want to do the right thing and, mm-hmm. and go carbon neutral. Mm-hmm. And so it's created a market. Um, and that's the market that we wanted to make sure that Indian people understood that market. And if they wanted to be in it, were able to participate in it. Excellent. So a tribe that has uh, forested lands, mm-hmm. that would be of value because it's taking carbon out of the environment. And there'd be, quote, buyers for that uh, ability to sequester or to store away the carbon. That's right. And you're there to make sure that a tribe isn't being taken advantage of. That's right. And and to understand what it really means. So a lot of the for-profit sector comes in and says, you'll make hundreds of millions of dollars on this. But they don't explain that you're going to have to have annual reviews, you're going to have a five-year review, and it's going to go on for 100 years. <laughs> and someone's going to have to pay for those reviews. Okay. So, 
um, we want to make sure the tribes and individuals are well aware of what the requirements are going to be in, mm-hmm. in advance of making the decisions. Very we good. also wanted, because there was a lot of interest in the, the timbered areas, mm-hmm. we wanted to really look at restoration of the prairie and native grasses in the prairie where 80% of the carbon is sequestered underground in the root systems. And so you could still graze the prairie, but you wanted to have those native grasses there that had the deep root systems uh-huh, uh-huh. where you could get credit for the carbon that was then created and, and sequestered underground. So was that not really a part of the original equations, and you guys brought that to the table? or was Yeah, that no the... one was looking at it. We, uh-huh. in fact, through the National Indian Carbon Coalition, we did a a piece with the American Carbon Registry where they actually created the protocols for us that then projects could follow these protocols and and document that the carbon was being sequestered. Uh So we just completed that, and it's now available for folks um, through the foundation, and we we can give you the the tribal protocols for doing that on grasslands. So really a tribe that has grasslands actually could be in the cap-and-trade market for carbon. They could do that and at the same time still graze it with cattle or buffalo. Uh Um, So you really actually end up with two sources of income or potentially two Uh sources of income off the same land and a much healthier environment. Wow. We would restore the prairie to its natural state, basically. Uh Uh Well, that is really exciting. Now, we've been talking about your organization, the Indian Land Tenure Foundation. We're talking about resources that you have, and yet we really haven't talked about how to get a hold of you or your team. How does someone do that? Well, they can go to our website, which is iltf.org. And on on the website, you can find the National Indian Carbon Coalition, which also has a website. Um... And you'll find the link to it on ILTF.org. And you'll also find a link to the Indian Land Capital Company, which is our for-profit subsidiary, um, does lending to tribes on full faith and credit um, for land purchases. So if I can remember, Indian Land Tenure Foundation, the initials, ILTF.org, I got it down. Yep. I'm going to get all the information find I could possibly want, right? <laughs> well, maybe not all of it, but... And if you don't, you can you can call me at uh-huh. uh, 651-766-8999. Okay, 651-766-8999. And if someone doesn't want to call you in the middle of the night or several hours before you wake up, where are you based? In Little Canada, Minnesota. In um, Little Canada, Minnesota. <laughs> I don't even know where that is, and I lived in Minnesota for a it's, while. It's uh, four miles north of St. Paul. Is that all? It, it's as far south as they would let the Canadians move when St. Paul was called Pig's Eye. <laughs> okay, boy, that's a that's an education. Little Canada, I didn't realize there was such a place. They still fly the Canadian flag proudly in Little Canada. Do they really? <laughs> Okay, and that number again for Chris Stainbrook, 651-766-8999, 8999. Yep. I got it. 
Before we have to close out the segment, Chris, you mentioned as we were talking about some of your resources, this Indian land capital company. I think that at least deserves more than a mention. Who might want to call you and get involved with that? Uh, we primarily focus with the tribes on that. Mm-hmm. So it's um, tri- the tribal land offices and others can certainly give us a call if they've got a, a project that they're trying to get some land financed under. Um, or we even do some amount of development activities. Oh, okay. Um, so if they're land-related development activities, we can look at financing those as well. Um, we've been growing the capital company the last few, well, this year, the last two years especially. Um, and so uh, it's going to become much more active in the future with more capital to the land. Mm-hmm. And uh, the... The thing that really sets it apart is that we don't take land as collateral. Okay. Um, that's why we lend on full faith and credit uh-huh. of the tribe because it honors their sovereignty. Mm. Um, and also, you know, that we don't want to put the land in jeopardy. Right, again. right. No, good point. So that's, good point. That's why we do it as full faith and credit. Very nice. One thing we didn't talk about was you do have a program for something called Social Impact bonds. Yeah, we've started working on that with the Department of Interior because since 2003 we've held, we've been um, financing essentially estate planning projects for, for Indian country. Um, getting Indian people help writing wills, doing gift deeds, other pieces to help prevent further fractionation of land. And in looking at that we've been trying to figure out what's the best way to finance this long term Mm -hmm. and so we started looking at can we raise uh, bond funds and apply those bond funds to the estate planning we do Hmm. and then get those bonds repaid by the federal government through administrative savings Hmm. it costs the federal government to manage undivided interests in land it costs them about $120 a year per undivided interest and some of these interests are very small. And so the more we can do to cut down the interests and the future interests through inheritance, um, the more the federal government can save in their administrative costs. Okay. So by dividing that with the federal government, we could then repay the bonds that we had borrowed to do the, the estate planning. Excellent. Boy, it sounds like you guys are doing a lot of great work. One more time, Chris, before we have to step away, how does someone uh, get more information about the Indian Land Tenure Foundation. They can contact us directly through the phone number, 651-766-8999, or go on the web at iltf.org. Thank you so much. We've got to step away. We've got more coming up on today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We will be right back after this. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. One in seven adults has it. But it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. 
For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We're here at the National Congress of American Indians in Denver, Colorado. It's 2018. The month is October. And we're continuing with some great guests across from me, Braden Weeks. And I don't know that I've completely got that first name down, Braden, but I'm trying my best. No, you're good. It's great. So, Braden, yeah. So, Braden, I know you're here because you've got a role with uh, the Ute Pack, and you've been doing some, uh, I would say, looks like work that's having a big impact because I see a lot of people going by your booth. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we've had a great time here and lots of good energy. So Good, good. But I've got you here in the booth because you also yourself are a radio host. Yeah, I host uh, Living the Circle of Life on KRCL 90.9 FM, which is our community-based radio station in Salt Lake City, Utah. That is fantastic. Yeah. So you and I were speaking a little bit before you sat down uh, in our virtual studio here in the exhibit area, and you were telling me that you do do quite a bit of uh, indigenous music on your show, right? Yeah, so I took over the show about four years ago, mm-hmm. and it was mainly what people would think of as traditional native music. So powwow drum, mm-hmm. hand drum, peyote music, and flute. Okay. And that is great, and I enjoy that music. Uh, we still play it to this day on the uh-huh. show. But I wanted to expand that because there's a lot of stories being told by young native artists that mm. don't fit into those genres. Okay. So we've expanded the show to include native music from all walks of life, and it's been really fun. We've gotten a lot of really good feedback from the community and what it's done is it's brought into the show a lot of young people both native and non-native so it's been a lot of fun to see now in addition to doing the music component of the show you also have a talk component right right yeah so we try to pick up um 
some local issues that are happening in Indian country nationally when we when we are able to talk about that, but especially when things are happening locally. So we have eight tribes in Utah. Seven of them are federally recognized. One of them is state recognized. And if anything's going on with them, if things are going on that they want to talk about even, not even if there's a big event, we like to have that discussion. We like to talk about that. One of the things I think any radio host would say we want to speak to people about things that are relevant. You know, we don't want to just put stuff on the air because we got nothing better to do. Sure. So it's always interesting to hear what kind of storylines play out in different parts of the country. So when you're there in Utah, in Salt Lake City, you're doing, is it live talk so people can call in and interact or is it pre-recorded? It is live talk. We uh, don't really take call-ins to the okay, station. Okay. We do have a lot of people that will email us or Facebook us why things are going on, and we'll incorporate okay, some of that. Okay, so, good deal. Yeah. So what kind of stuff energizes people in Salt Lake City <laughs> who've got a First Nations background? Yeah, so Utah is kind of this unique flashpoint for land rights issues. Mm. And a lot of tribes, so our southern our San Juan Southern Paiute, got to make sure we get that right, San Juan Southern Paiute, they are just gaining their land base, which is really awesome to see and really cool. And they've uh -huh. gone through this long process. So that's something that's really exciting. And then on this other hand, we have the Ute tribe that's working on uh, protecting the land that they already have. And so this discussion uh, in Utah is always kind of tends around who has rights where on these lands and with water or um, these different natural resources. And Bears Ears is a big um, example of that. There's federal land that's there, a mix of BLM, a mix of forest service. Mm -hmm. And um, what does that mean when that area has the richest archaeological sites in the lower 48? Wow. And all these different tribes, not just five tribes, because there's five tribes that have joined in a coalition around this area. Mm -hmm. And it's not just the five tribes, but the Paiutes and the Goshutes and the Shoshone that all have ties to this area and have ancestors there. And when that conversation comes to, well, that's not reservation land, what what do we talk about? How do we go around that? Mm -hmm. um, really gets everyone in Utah kind of riled up or excited, however okay. you want to look at okay. it, you know? So it's it. Um, there's a lot of that, but... In that, there is a lot of excitement because getting people engaged in these kind of conversations that can seem a little controversial at first gets them excited about the cultural aspects mm -hmm. and why this place is important. Mm -hmm. And so I've seen a lot of youth start getting engaged or interacting in the same way with this new music um, where they are. there's this great program. So we have a community member, Eileen Quintana. Mm-hmm. And she is the Title VI coordinator, now Title VII, I believe, coordinator for Nebo School District in Utah. Okay. And she, this conversation and the kids getting excited about Bears Ears and what, like, was going on, she was able to take her students down to the Navajo Reservation. And they lived there in a, they stayed there in a Hogan for two weeks. Uh -huh. And they learned how to, like, what plants would dye their wool, how to harvest the wool. Uh -huh. And they did all of this with traditional leaders. And now, right now, they're working on weave, uh, traditional Navajo looms. Mm -hmm. They're working to weave all of their rugs. Wow. And so this revitalization with our youth is very exciting to see. And I think that's kind of unanimous around Indian country is that when the youth get involved, people get excited. That is. I don't think there's any question. When, when youth are getting excited, reconnecting with their culture, and really 
strengthening their identity is, I think, huge. And from a physician standpoint, I think this is, is really important because a lot of the issues that we talk about, it comes back to, well, you know, the kids are hopeless. They don't feel they've got a future in certain settings. Right. And when you start reconnecting them with their culture, their roots, that can be really powerful. Yeah. And in Utah, this conversation of, like, land identity or where you're from and, you know, in our way where your umbilical cord's buried and hmm. um, most the largest population of natives is along the Wasatch Front, so our urban areas in Salt Lake, which are, you know, the nearest reservation is three hours away. Mm. And so there's these kids that are growing up without their traditional elders around. Mm -hmm. And kind of reconciling that and finding those places, like the Urban Indian Center of Salt Lake, finding those places where we can congregate and we can share with each other and experience life in a different way, but mm -hmm. also carry on who we were and who we are is something that's a lot of fun to be a part of. A little terrifying at times, okay. but um, really exciting to see that people are actually engaged, you know. Now, there's a lot of folks that tune into American Indian Living. We go out on 170 stations. Some of those are reservation-based stations. Others have a significant Native listenership. And believe it or not, there's some stations that don't seem to be in a swath of listenership that really have a lot of people with First Nations backgrounds, and yet they're still airing the programming. But one of the questions always comes up, and that is, as we speak about some indigenous practices, people that don't have any Native background, sometimes they're scratching their head. They're saying, what? What did, he, what did he just say? So you mentioned this about the umbilical cord. Share a little bit about what the significance of that is, and at least in, in your neck of the woods, if you will. Sure. Being in the urban area and getting to like learn from these different tribes that are there, uh, it's interesting to see the similarities and the dissimilarities. Mm -hmm. And even though Utes and Navajos live right next to each other, we have a lot of differences. Okay. Um, but one thing I cued into is we both bury our umbilical cords. Mm. And Navajos have a different reason for doing theirs, so I don't, I can't really share that. But uh -huh. um, the Utes, we, you know, we're taught we buried in an anthill. Mm. And depending on what band you are, there's different teachings that go along with that. But the, the thing that's really strong there is that you know where you're from. Like, you always know that that's home, and uh -huh. you can go back to your community. And that that's really beautiful, and that's uh -huh. um, a connection I think that a lot of people don't have. Mm -hmm. And knowing that, knowing that even though you're in that urban setting, if anything ever happens, you have your community with you, mm -hmm. is um, something I think is really empowering, especially in this time when we see youth really struggling with mental illness, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. you know, even to the point of suicidal thoughts and, um, or even actions and losing our young ones that way is really hard for communities to reconcile. So when we teach the youth about these things and about where, what their parents have done for them already, mm -hmm. um, there's that level of empowerment, but also what I think is in there that we don't talk about too much is that like comfort that that gives them. Mm -hmm. So that's really nice to see. No, that's excellent. There's another question that someone who has no roots in Utah might be kind of scratching their head. They're saying, wait a minute, Utah, Utes, um, sounds like they come from similar roots. Can yeah. you help us out on the that connection? Yeah, that's the story that's told. Um, U Utah, as far as I know, and I could be wrong because I'm not fluent in Ute, um, does not directly translate to anything. There's not. Okay. There's no Utah in the Ute language, but 
uh, is derived from the Ute tribe because we are there. And our traditional territory goes from where we're here in Denver, Colorado, mm -hmm. which would be White River Band, you, um, White River Band and Uncle Pagre Band, Ute. They go all the way, you know, Uncle Pagre goes south, White Rivers go west. Um, but the there was 13 Ute bands, okay. and they covered quite a large area that encompassed part of Wyoming, Utah, um, and Colorado. Mm -hmm. And um, now there are seven bands. There's three bands on Southern Ute. There's three bands in the Ute tribe, which is the Uinta and Ore Reservation. Mm -hmm. And then there's one band with Ute Mountain Ute. Okay. Do you have any idea of what tribal enrollment is at, uh, at this point in time? You know, I'm not sure. It's different uh -huh. on each of the tribes. Uh -huh. um, and we do have the strictest blood quantum. Oh, okay. um, we have, on at least in the Ute tribe, we have a 5 eighths blood quantum. Oh, really? So it's pretty high. Um, and, but we also have what we call descendants. So none, like the numbers and stuff are hard to find because with the three tribes, if you just count enrollment, you're not catching a lot of the tribe. Mm -hmm. so. we got to step away. Okay. We've got a break coming up. But thanks so much, uh, Braden, for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was nice to talk with you. Continued success. we got to step away just for a couple of minutes. We'll be back with more on today's edition of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Don't go away. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke. Sudden weakness on one side or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 
1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back to American Indian Living, Dr. David DeRose. In front of me right now is someone who's been a key part of the marketplace at the National Congress of American Indians for 2018, Frankie Brownell. Now, when I say a key part, some people might say, wow, was she one of the organizers? What did she do? But you've been one of the people that has been, some people would say, in the trenches doing the health screenings. Tell us a little bit about what you've been doing. Well, we invite people to come and have their blood sugar levels tested mm-hmm. to screen them for uh, possible diabetes. Okay. And along with that, uh, we try to give them some education how to prevent. Mm-hmm. And the other thing we do is take blood pressures okay. and screen people for high blood pressure. So I'm sitting here in a booth in what's called the Marketplace at the National Congress of American Indians. I'm looking right across me, across the, the uh, uh, I want to say aisle, virtual aisle in the convention center, however you want to call it, right across from me, a large booth. I mean, you've probably got, I don't know, what is that, eight booths that are there? It's a lot of space. Yes, yes, it is. And people have been coming by kind of a steady stream. you got a team there checking blood sugar, checking blood pressures. What are you finding? Does everyone have great numbers? No, they don't. Okay, okay. <laughs> we are able to uh, to find people that actually their blood sugars were out of range. Mm-hmm. One young man in, in particular, uh, it showed that he was heading towards having trouble with diabetes. Okay. So, yes. How did he respond to that? Very positively. Um, We really try to encourage the young people that are coming through, even if their numbers look good, Mm -hmm. that now is the time to think about health habits, lifestyle habits that will contribute to the prevention Mm -hmm. of diabetes and high blood pressure. And this young man was very receptive, uh, really seemed interested in Mm -hmm. making the changes he needed to make to prevent this from becoming a problem. Excellent. And I know you guys take the counseling very seriously. You had a full-time counseling physician mm-hmm. there. She does bear a, a resemblance to me, at least by name, since uh, it was Sonia DeRose, my wife. I know she was uh, having a rewarding time working with the folks coming through that counseling aspect. But it wasn't just personal one-on-one counseling that you yourself were doing my wife right. was doing it and others. Right. You also have a lot of resources out there that were being given away, right? We do. And I'll just speak to uh, to Dr. DeRose, Sonia DeRose. Um, the young man that I was speaking of uh-huh. was referred to her so that okay. she could do further, um, more extensive encouragement and, and uh, informational. And that is what we would do with everyone that came through that looked like they're having a problem. We encourage them to go and talk to the doctor. Very good. And the other thing that we had was we had literature to hand out, uh-huh. particular literature that addressed high blood pressure, mm-hmm. some that were more general in overall health and lifestyle, and encouraging everyone to take one of those because we all can use that encouragement and information. And let's see what else. We also gave out books that had to deal with suicide, encouraged people to take those so that they would have a little more information mm-hmm. if they met someone that might be having problems in that area as well. Now, this was really great to see the mental health information out there, too. A lot of the folks who've been here at the National Congress or at National Indian Health Board events over the last year, 
they realize that the same team that put on the health screening has also been working throughout Indian country doing educational activities, and I'm part of that team. So we've been in a number of uh, tribal settings, uh, basically sharing this message that you really were communicating, that there's a connection between our physical health and our mental health and some of those same natural lifestyle strategies that can help you deal with your high blood pressure, your diabetes, can help you avoid depression or suicide. And so this is a message that I think a lot of people in Indian country have known, you know, historically, but sometimes it's easy to forget. Someone says, oh, they're having a diabetes program. Well, I don't have diabetes. That, that's not for me. Or, oh, a high blood pressure program, yeah, mom needs that, but my blood pressure's fine. And really what you were doing at the screening is you're basically alerting people to the fact that these conditions we all need to be concerned about, right? It's our communities that are involved. And even if my finger stick number looked good for my blood sugar and my blood pressure was good, you had literature there saying, hey, those numbers are good, but over time these things tend to, to rise, right? Definitely, definitely. And... um so we really encourage parents that have children to um, to really pay attention to the lifestyle they're helping their children to achieve and accomplish in their life. Because we know diabetes and high blood pressure is on the rise, and we need to have be educated about it. How can we prevent that, or mm-hmm. how can we help to reverse that? So, yes, definitely trying to give out the information that people need to improve health. Now, I know at this event you were giving out some cutting-edge information and the team that is involved with the screening and some of the various aspects, American Indian Living Radio, American Indian Living Magazine, Bob Burnett, who coordinates all this, uh, hosted a couple of events here where he gave out some uh, kind of cutting-edge books on these topics, gave out our book, 30 Mm -hmm. Days to Natural Blood Pressure Control, gave out Dr. Neil Nedley's book, The Lost Art of Thinking, was handing those out to tribal leaders and others that came to these venues. But I noticed not only were there these cutting-edge books that have just come out recently, but you were giving out a title there over 100 years old, a book called The Ministry of Healing. Mm -hmm. Now, some of our listeners may have heard of that book. It actually, I've got to be honest with you, it's probably one of my all-time favorite health books. It's just kind of mind-boggling to think about a book published over 100 years ago that is still really giving very, I don't know what else to say, but current information. Who was picking up that book? Who were you recommending to take that book? Well, there were many people that seemed very receptive to the lifestyle and also when it was mentioned, the the connection that we have between our mental health and our attitudes Mm -hmm. uh, along with our lifestyle, what we choose to eat and how we exercise and that type of thing. And also the spiritual aspect of our lives that encourage um, total good health. And all of those are dealt with Ministry of Healing. So um, we were able to give out quite a few of those books mm-hmm. with people who were interested and could see the value of this this whole picture and having an impact on their life. And so we were able to give that out to a lot of tribal leaders mm-hmm. and to other people that just were really open to that type of... Um, outlook. It's an amazing book because people in Indian country, of course, you know, they know, you know, the history of of what we call today sacred tobacco. Mm -hmm. But that book spoke about 
the dangers of you know commercial addictive tobacco called uh, you know smoking you know a slow insidious most malignant poison mm -hmm. you know so basically a cancerous poison malignant mm -hmm. 1905 right um, talked about the benefits of a plant-based diet that were really the foundations of many indigenous uh, tribal diets so it's uh, it's just a, a marvelous book the other thing I like about the book Frankie is toward the end of the book, there's some chapters I've referred my patients to, help in daily living, in contact with others. I tell people these are some of the most practical chapters I've read that deal with stress management, mm -hmm. anger management. Uh, I know you've had a personal interest in that book. Do those kind of themes resonate with you personally? Oh, definitely. When I used to work at a health reconditioning center, we actually, as a team, a health team, would read through that book together mm. on a yearly basis okay. because it's so powerful and so mm. pertinent and just information that we need to keep foremost in our thinking and our mind when we're dealing with people, uh, helping people regain their health or to maintain their health. So The Ministry of Healing, that's a book still in print. Uh, you may want to pick up a copy if you haven't heard of it. Frankie, uh, there's another topic that I think is really worth discussing Earlier, as we were recording segments for this show, we had um, a gentleman join us uh, by the name of Jeff. He was uh, featured on the show, so it's not a secret. I'm not uh, disclosing anything that he you know, wasn't making public himself. And he shared his own story with the screening events here at the National Congress. I don't know, were you one of the people that screened him either this year or last year? Yes, yes. So how did that impact you as someone doing the screen? First, give us his story and a synopsis because some people didn't okay. hear it in the past. Right. He started out by saying, well, after I had taken his blood sugar and, and blood pressure, he said, I sat at your table a year ago and my blood pressure was so high that you didn't want me to leave. Mm. And you took me over to the doctor they just wanted me to rest and relax, and because they said, you are a prime candidate for a stroke at any time. Mm -hmm. And that so shocked him, he was like, wow, I'm not that old of a man. Mm -hmm. uh, I think, what, maybe late 40s at the time, I'm not sure. But um, he said, so at, when he heard that, he left and said, I'm going to make some changes. He quit drinking alcohol, mm -hmm. which is really important for both blood sugar and uh, diabetes prevention and recovery. And he changed his diet, so he lost a lot of weight, over 100 pounds. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't want to make a misstatement. In one year. Yeah. In yeah, one I think year. the figure was actually 140 pounds. Yes, which is just... I thought that's what I was remembering. but I. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, so he'd lost 140 pounds in one year, quit drinking, and now his... Uh, numbers were just totally changed and he said that all around in his life had been benefited uh, both physically mentally and spiritually i mean it's just an amazing story and i i think for people like you who come year in year out to the national congress and do these screenings you may not think this is having that mm -hmm. big an effect you might go home and say well you know i pricked a lot of people's fingers checked a lot of blood pressures did it make a difference but sometimes it just takes one story like that yeah. to say, wow, what we're doing here is really making a difference. For I don't sure. know. One of the messages for me, Jackie, is for my listening audience, those of you tuning in today, if you haven't had your blood sugar, your blood pressure checked recently, it's something worth doing. What the research indicates is even though you may have been fine last year or five years ago, doesn't mean your numbers are good today. And you could be 
a person like Jeff who needs a wake-up call, and one of the ways to do that is just have some simple screenings, right? Oh, correct. In fact, there was one gentleman, he all, he wanted his whole family to be checked yesterday, but he would not. He would not. Oh, he really? said, I'm afraid. He said, huh. I'm afraid. And so I just encouraged him to, to he have a lot more to be afraid of by not knowing. Because wow. if you know, you can now do something about mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. He came back today and he had everything checked and there was an area that he needed counseling in. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was glad that he had come back and done that. So... Wow, wow. Any other people who just, as you were sitting there, the lights just seemed to go on, and this particular National Congress was not just a turning point for them, maybe because of people they met or dialogues they had or meetings they attended, but it was because of that screening. Any other moments like that for you this session? Um, You know, there was a general since comparing with last year uh-huh. and that seemed to be a heightened appreciation and awareness for health education. Wow. I noticed that more this year and that was really encouraging because that's what you're hoping to achieve mm-hmm. is this heightened awareness. Wow. Frankie, you did a great work. Thank you so much for your uh, work here at the National Congress. We are uh, out of time for this segment, but we appreciate what you're doing. And for those of you tuning in today, hopefully you're getting the wake-up call as well. I'm Dr. David DeRose. We'll be coming back with a final segment in today's edition of American Indian Living. Don't go away. We will be right back. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand, and someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. 
Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE. 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. Welcome back for our final segment of today's edition of American Indian Living. One last segment here at the National Congress of American Indians 2018 in Denver, Colorado. The marketplace is uh, rapidly being disassembled, and that was the case with the booth right across from me. Some of you, if you've been listening from the uh, beginning of this series of shows, we talked with folks from the Spokane Tribe and uh, the Tea Creek R&D Lab. I'm so glad that even though that uh, booth is now disassembled, I still have the opportunity of speaking one last time with Judy Flett. Judy, so glad you stayed by. Thank you. I thought some really exciting things happened at this conference with some of the synergy. Now, I don't know if someone planned it, if the creator did it or what, but your screening blood tests were right in very close proximity to the diabetes and the high blood pressure screening. I thought that was such a nice compliment. It was, yeah, because they would get screened there and then come over and check check our booth out. We did a couple of segments talking about the great work you're doing with uh, the pulse test, P-U-L-S. For some who didn't hear that episode, can you just in a quick nutshell tell us what you were testing here at the National Congress? The pulse cardiac test is a new test that tests nine different biomarkers. And uh, what it, the results will tell you is if you're at risk for a heart attack in the next five years. And it will also tell you your true heart age. Now, I shared something in a meeting today around noon I was there, a number of people doing screening and trying to make a difference with health in Indian country. We're at this special event at the National Congress. And uh, one of the special guests there was Judy herself. And I was given the privilege of talking with her a little bit up front. And I said something there that I said for the first time in public, and I'm going to share it now on the radio. I'm an internal medicine specialist. We're trained to be a bit skeptical, okay? So even though I really liked you guys... I looked at your stuff yesterday. I had a couple of you folks on the air with me. I was still, after recording some of the segments, saying, oh, is this real? Okay, is this kind of hocus pocus? So I went to my room in the hotel, and I started pulling up some of the medical research literature, and I said, you know what? This is really legit. I mean, you guys are testing some stuff that the the research is there. You've published in what we call peer-reviewed medical journals. So, you know, for another physician to say, I mean, is this a legitimate uh, screening test? You can look and you've actually, what I found was so interesting, Judy, is your team of researchers, they compared your test with some of the so-called gold standard tests, like the Framingham uh, test that, you know, testing that is used to look at at risk uh, for heart disease. And you guys came out, I would say in some respects better than some of the other things that we're using. So tell me what happened when I, I didn't share in as much detail in that public meeting, but I mentioned the fact that this really looks for real and it seems that it can give you an idea on your heart health and whether you're at risk for a heart attack in the next five years. Did did that seem to resonate with anyone in that group? It did. Uh, After uh, that group uh, had their session in there, we, uh, I would say at least six, seven people came to our booth and was very interested in getting the test done. Mm-hmm. 
So, it, uh, you know, the, the word is spreading. And like I said before, I want to get this out there so it's available for any Native American that wants to take the test. And I think your vision is so beautiful because what I hear you guys saying as a team, you're saying why you want to bring this to Indian country because a lot of people really don't realize where they're at as far as the risk of leading cause of death in, in many segments of the population is heart disease. And if you're a heart attack waiting to happen, you want to know that before it happens, right? Right. Here's the question I've got. And uh, you heard me talk about this in the, the session we had together. And let me fill in a few of the dots before I ask Judy the question. For those who aren't familiar with the work that I'm involved with, I'm part of a group of people who are offering services through Indian throughout Indian country as a result of a grant. And we're helping tribes say, look, if you've got people that you know have problems with high blood pressure, are tired of taking all the pills, we have options, natural options, a curriculum you can use that can help them with that. We have other members of our team who are doing the same thing with diabetes, with mental health, with suicide prevention. My interest, as we've been talking with the, the team there at um, Tea Creek, there in the Spokane tribe, is to say, well, what would happen if we did this pulse test before and after an event where we're training people to adopt a healthier lifestyle for their diabetes or their blood pressure or their mental health? I really believe, Judy, that this particular test would help people say, hey, not only are my blood pressure numbers down, my blood sugar numbers down, not only is this Beck depression inventory better, but my risk of a heart attack is lower. Can, can you actually tell them that? Can you take two tests and compare them and give them feedback? Uh, yes, we can. Um, a lot of people, um, it, you know, kind of wakes them up and they want to change their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So we have tested people and then six months later they came back and tested again. And they've seen that their heart ages come down, their pulse scars better. So um, it's already proven to, you know, change people's lifestyles and save lives. Now, I understand the concept. I looked at the data on it. The one thing I didn't quite figure out in my mind is when they get a pulse score, is it just this estimate of, quote, your heart age, or is it an actual number from 1 to 100? What is the, the pulse score? What kind of range does that score fall with? The range is like between 1 and 100, oh, okay. and it depends on, you know, your, of course, your age, mm -hmm. um, where you land on that uh, bar line, mm -hmm. and it's normal, borderline, or elevated. Okay. So if you fall in the elevated uh we try to set you up to talk directly with Dr. Doug Harrington so uh -huh. he can give you direction on what you need to do to improve your health. Very nice. So is it safe to say if someone gets a score of 10, that's good, and 90 is bad? The higher ones are bad, or does that not work that The way? higher ones are bad, but, you know, it depends on all your other scores, your cholesterol, triglycerides, everything else. Mm -hmm. uh, it all plays into it, your age. Mm -hmm. So it's not just uh, you can have a score of 10. So here's what I'm trying to get at. I know you take these special blood tests that you measure. And for those who are just hearing about this for the first time, that you're wondering what the special blood tests are, ones that people would be familiar with would be like HDL and uh, hemoglobin A1C, the diabetes marker. So those, you know, average physicians are, are measuring those all the time. But you've got a lot of other more specialized tests. 
like interleukin-16 or different we call cytokines, different chemicals that measure uh, we would call crosstalk in the body, the white blood cells talking among themselves, if you will. So these different markers are measured, and you give a score for each one, right? Yes, the nine biomarkers. Okay. But you don't give a composite score? You don't give some kind of special number? They they get a pulse score. So that score is between 1 and 102 or 0 and 100? Correct. And so that score, what I'm trying to get at is just to help me understand, high score, bad, low score, good. Correct. Okay. And then you actually factor that in with some other things to give them their individual risk. Right. So the pulse score, P-U-L-S, and let me see how good my uh, memory is. It's protein, uh, something about lesion. Unstable unstable lesion signature. Lesion signature. Okay, protein unstable lesion signature score. Um, That doesn't necessarily take into account all the age and other risk factors, or does it? Yes. Oh, it does. It includes all that. And, and that that's something, you know, that uh, you probably need to talk to Dr. Doug Harrington, and he can explain it right, a lot right. better. No, I'm not trying to put you on the spot with that. I was just <laughs> trying to get the feel. So it is a single test value, even though it's based on multiple other tests. Correct. Okay. So if that was a lengthy discussion trying to help me understand just what we're talking about, uh, hopefully you realize that we're talking about something very significant. And uh, for the benefit of all our listeners, Judy, there are folks that want to connect with the Spokane tribe. There are tribal health leaders, tribal health departments that say, hey, this test might be of value in what in our patients. I don't know who wouldn't want to at least think about it and look into it. How does someone get more information about the test or using your services? They can contact me directly. Um My phone number is 509-458-6590, or my email, I'll say it and spell it. It's judy at spokoenterprises.com, J-U-D-Y at S-P-O-K-O-E-N-T-E-R-P-R-I-S-E-S.com. Okay, so I've got judy, J-U-D-Y, at spoko. S-P-O-K-O, Enterprises, that's plural, dot com. Correct. And then the phone number, have I got this right, 509? Yes. That's the area code. And then what else have we got after that? 458. 458, uh uh-huh. 6590. 6590. So one more time, 509-458-6590. That's correct. Judy, thank you for making a big difference at this uh, National Congress. Thanks for sharing your uh, your screening services and uh, really opening my eyes. Thank you. It's been a great experience. We've got to run. That's all for 2018 National Congress of American Indians. That's the last in our series of shows from here. Hopefully, these programs have helped you have the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.